Hey, all right. How are y'all today? How's your week been? Good? I see. I hear a couple of goods. Interesting. Interesting is usually not that great. Like, how was your week? It was interesting. That's like the, the Christian-y way of saying, my week was terrible, but I don't want to say it's terrible. You know what? It's okay if you've had a rough week. That's all right. That's why we're here, y'all. That's a big part of why we're here. Jesus did not call us to try to live this life on our own. If we did, it's, it's not good. We're not going to make it. We need the support of a community around us, a community of believers, a, some people who are at least somewhat on the same page as us, or at least, even if they're not on quite the same page, will love us like they are. I want you to know, whatever your story is, walking in this morning, we care about you. We love you. We, we want you here. If you don't believe anything like what we believe, you're wanted here. Our motto is, some of you will know this, most of you will know this, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. We've got some big stuff coming up. Um, October looks like it's going to be a busy month for us. It's a happy, busy month. Uh, we've postponed our baptism to October the 1st. Because of the, the weather and the possibility of lightning, we actually do have a portable baptismal pool. We could baptize folks right out here in our parking lot, and that would be cool. Except we have a risk of some lightning, so that's not going to work no matter where you're at if you're outdoors. And uh, um, this Friday, we're having the movie night, Facing the Giants. Have you seen this one? Facing the Giants, it's a really cool one. Um, it's been out a while. Uh, seems like a good one for football season, Facing the Giants. That'll be this Friday. And do uh, you know what happens October 22nd? Is that on your calendar? Is that in your mind October 22nd? It needs to be. That is the anniversary Sunday for Recreate. We'll be six years old. Woo! We're old enough for first grade now. Sixth grade. Six, six years old. We're working on having the service that day, not in here, but at a special venue. I don't want to announce it yet, just in case we can't get the venue we were looking for. But we want to have something really fun that day and make a really, really special big deal out of it. So make plans. Do not miss October the 22nd. We turn six years old. That is exciting. Uh, some of you guys were here from before the beginning when we were meeting uh, at the high school before we ever launched, and some of you before that, and some of you got here just as quick as you could, and we're super glad you're here today. So I think that's all that, that stuff. So I want to talk about the, the exciting event of today. Today is the day. 30, 32 teams start this journey, they hope, that will lead to the Super Bowl. 32 teams in the NFL. Start the season with hope. I am, is anyone else a football kind of person in here? Some of you are. Some of you endure the other football people. Look, I love football. Um, this time of year, though, is the time when I, when I start hearing that a certain team is Super Bowl favorites once again, even though they haven't even been to the conference championship in 27 years. It doesn't matter. We're going to win it all this year, even though I know it's going to happen. They're going to go 7-1 and one the first half of the season, then 3-6 and six the second half of the season, and lose in the first round of the playoffs because that's what they do every single year. And yet, we're going to come to the end of that, and those same fans will say, next year's going to be our year. We're going to win the Super Bowl. So look, I'm telling you, if you ever are experiencing doubt and struggle, all right, and just you cannot seem to get a hold of some faith, if you need some inspiration for your faith, you need look no further than the nearest fan of the Dallas Cowboys. 
Because every year, man, it's like, I wish I believed in God. Like some of these folks believe in the Cowboys. Because God has come through for me. And where them boys at? Three decades. Look, my team, my team has been pitiful for a long time. But their Super Bowl drought is only like three years longer than the Cowboys Super Bowl drought. So you put that in perspective and they're Super Bowl contenders every year, supposedly. All right, look, I know my team's not going to do any better. Here's, here's what's going to happen. This is my prediction for this afternoon, as it is my prediction for all the, all the games that my team are in. They're going to play really good a little bit and give me some hope and build me up, Buttercup, just to let me down. It happens every time. It'll be going good. It's like, oh, I think we're going to, hey, look at this. First half, and we're not losing yet. This is good. And then someone throws an interception. Or someone fumbles the football, and it's a turnover. And I don't know if you're a football fan, but you don't win football games giving away the football. That's just not how it works. So fumble. It's frustrating when somebody fumbles the ball. It messes up things that are going really well when somebody fumbles. So now I am at this point in the study of the book of Mark where we've gotten to some scripture that's really easy to fumble. Very easy to fumble. Um, a subject that gets fumbled a lot of the time. And, I, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about it. I confess I've been nervous about this one. I'm, I'm, um, it's one of the most painful subjects in human life, a subject that get people, gets people upset. Part of me wishes I could skip it, and I don't know if you can see on the screen here, but the title for this message, I struggle to find a title. Um, the title for this message is The Subject I Wanted to Skip. So there it is, the subject I wanted to skip. But do you see me skipping it? Because I think, I think if I skipped it, I'd have to explain to God why I, why I skipped it. And I don't think my excuses would be good. I'm like, God, I'm afraid I'm going to upset people. He's like, have you read the rest of this book? Um, it's going to cause some, you know, it is going to cause people to really do some introspection. So I got to be faithful to the Lord in this. Recreate Church has a special calling to care about people who have good reasons to be skeptical about church. And there are lots of pe people who, whose reasons are pretty good. They've had some painful experiences related to church. They've been hurt by church. They've been discouraged by church. And one of the most common ways that people get hurt and discouraged regarded, regarding church is, is in relation to this subject. The heavy subject of divorce. It's a hard one. And I have known of churches who treat divorce like it's the unforgivable sin. Like there's never any come that God's done with you there. I've, I've known of churches that literally kick people out because they got divorced or remarried. I've, um, or maybe not like literally cutting ties, but making people feel so much like a second class believer that that they just couldn't stick around. You know? I have known churches where nearly the only requirement for being selected for a position of leadership was that a man had not been divorced and remarried. That was like it. Now, there's lots of qualifications in the scriptures of what a spiritual leader should be, a whole lot of them, but by and large, those were ignored or assumed to be fulfilled. And the only thing that was really looked at was if the person had been remarried or not. And... Before we go any further, I just I want to make this very clear. God is calling us 
to be a church that's maybe a little different than what some of us have seen. To help people navigate difficult waters like marriage and divorce and remarriage and singleness and a lot more. I've said it. No matter your story, you are welcome, you're wanted, and you're loved. And that, that includes whatever your relationship status or not relationship status is. We welcome you, we want you, we love you. So this touches all of us, one way or the other, directly or indirectly. And it is very easy to fumble this football. So I'm going to hold on to this football tight and try not to fumble it. But will y'all make me a deal? Can we make an agreement that if that if once you have heard what I have to say about it, what the scriptures have to say about it, that if you come to a different conclusion, we'll still be okay. How about that? Let's not get like a church divorce over the subject of divorce, okay? Let's, let's not. Um, our text is Mark chapter 10. If you want to find that, the first part of Mark chapter 10. So Jesus has just left his ministry headquarters in Capernaum for the last time. He's headed down uh, over on the east side of the Jordan River. It's a region called Perea. He's on his way to Judea and Jerusalem. And he has tried to explain to his disciples several times that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested and he's going to be crucified. But they can't seem to comprehend it. It is hidden from them. They don't understand that Jesus is coming to the end. They, they know the heat's being turned up. But they really don't get that he's going to go and give his life and rise again. So as is typical when Jesus is passing through an area, big crowds come out to hear him. They want to hear him preach and to teach. And they want to understand what he has to say. And, and he does that. He, we don't have, we're not told what he taught them that day ex until... Some guys showed up and started asking him questions. These guys called the Pharisees. They're back again. They keep on coming back. No matter how many times Jesus deals with these guys and puts them in their place, they keep coming back. So the Pharisees, who were respected religious leaders at the time, who totally didn't get it, they come to Jesus and they think, ah, ha, ha, we're going to trip him up this time. They bring up... What was at that time, and still to this day, one of the more controversial issues. Let's see how that went. So now let's get into the scriptures. Verse 2. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Okay, notice who's divorcing whom in this. Right off the bat, the man divorcing the wife. It doesn't, they, didn't, they didn't even mention the other way around. Keep that in mind. That'll come back later. Um, and Jesus answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man, once again, to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate and right there we're going to stop and pray heavenly father in jesus name oh this is a this is a big one it's a tough one so we give it to you and ask that you'll bring us to a higher level of understanding and god show us show us the path forward from here in jesus name amen so the pharisees wanted to entrap jesus and they picked yes a controversial topic but um it gets a little thicker than that they were going through the region of Perea, and that was governed by a guy named Herod Antipas, who is mostly famous as being the guy who had John the Baptist beheaded. Why did he behead John the Baptist? Because of John's views on divorce and remarriage. 
So the Pharisees are pretty smart. They're, they would totally be okay with Jesus getting beheaded, but that wasn't their only plan. You see, it, it, even if Herod never heard about this, they hoped they were going to divide support for Jesus. All right. In that day, there were two schools of thought when it came to divorce. And they were modeled after the teachings of two of the most famous rabbis that lived around that time. These guys were living when Jesus was living, but they had died by the time of this time, most likely. Uh, one of them was named Rabbi Shammai, and he taught that divorce was only permissible in the case of physical adultery. And in that culture, that specifically meant a woman cheating on her husband. Specifically. Uh, when a man cheated on his wife with an unmarried woman, that kind of got swept under the rug. When a man cheated on his wife with a married woman, that culture viewed the adultery to have been perpetrated not against the cheater's wife, but against the husband of the woman he was messing around with. Does that sound messed up to you? Yeah. Does it sound unfair to you? Mm-hmm. I heard somebody say, mm-hmm. We're not done yet. All right. Rabbi Hillel, he taught that a man could divorce his wife for just about any reason at all, like anything. Anything. Play music too loud? Divorce. Drive too fast? Divorce. Too slow? Divorce, charging too high prices for sweaters, glasses, divorce. Undercooked fish, divorce. Overcooked chicken, straight to divorce. Some of you have never watched Parks and Rec and don't understand any of what I just said, but I'll just go ahead and sum it up by saying this. Rabbi Hillel taught that literally virtually anything, if she put too much salt in his food, divorce. But that he could, he could get rid of her. Okay, this one's really ugly. If, if he found a woman that he considered more attractive, he could get a guilt-free, virtually instant divorce. Do you notice a common theme here? Who's getting the bad end of divorces in the first century? The women are getting the bad deal here. Badly, in that culture, it was very difficult, almost impossible, for a woman to be granted a divorce, but a man could divorce her for almost anything. And there, there was very little legitimate economic opportunity for a woman in those days, especially for a single woman, unless, unless her daddy had money and she could go back to him. She was in a very bad place, um, very vulnerable, potentially very destitute. Okay. Maybe you remember the story um, Jesus told, I think it's in Luke 15, about the parable of the lost coin and about a woman who had lost a coin and she's kind of panicking and she's looking, searching the house, sweeping the house, trying to find that coin. Probably what that coin was is one of the ten coins that Jewish women would weave into their head covering, which was sort of their insurance policy in case their husband dumped them real quick because he could that she would at least have 10 gold coins to her name to try to start over her life. That is to say, if she could find another fella because divorced women were treated as damaged goods. Okay. If you think for a moment I'm defending any of that, you'd be 
not just wrong, you'd be super duper wrong. I think that's messed up. You know who else thinks that's messed up? God does. The first time divorce is mentioned in the Bible, it's in Deuteronomy 24. I encourage you to read that sometime. That the first time we see um, God is doing something about that. God invented marriage. People invented divorce. And people invented it with no rules. It was completely to the favor of the husband. The husband could kick her out of the house without any legal process or any legal protections, and it was culturally fine. There were even cases, this is extra icky, there were even cases where a man would get rid of his wife, shack up with another woman a while, and then get his wife back. And there was not a lot the woman could do about it. That's not fair. That's not right. That is ugly. That is bad. And God put an end to that nonsense. God established a legal process for divorce, legal protections for the wife. God didn't invent it, but he regulated it. It was completely unregulated. He regulated. He said, ah, you're not going to do your wife this way. You're just not. If you want to be parted from her, you go through the legal process. You give her the right paperwork. And she is free to marry again. She was not to be treated disrespectfully. People who use the Bible to oppress or disrespect women do not understand the Bible. I don't know whose sound effect that was, but it was perfect. Thank you. Boom, zinger. Yep. The Pharisees, though, they don't see it this way. The Pharisees figure Jesus is going to have to pick one side or the other. Shammai or Hillel. Divorce for virtually no reason or divorce for almost any reason and either way the women are in a very bad position um people always like to put jesus on a side even today people are very insisting that ah jesus would be on my team or jesus would vote my way or jesus would would be with me in my political camp and what we see in the new testament is that jesus is pretty much in his own camp every single time See, on a lot of theological things, he, he agreed with the Pharisees more than he agreed with the Sadducees, which is another group. But he still was, he did not really agree with either one of them. Both camps had some real problems. Jesus knew they were trying to entrap him. He didn't play their game. He, uh, you'll notice when someone comes to Jesus in the Gospels and they ask him a question that's not really a question, it's a trap question. He does not answer it directly. He turns the question back around. And what's the question that he asked them? He said, um... What did Moses command you? I think that's verse 3 maybe. What did Moses command you? And um, Moses was the, the leader who penned down the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah. This is God's word. We're talking about God's word. What, what does God's word say? What's the scriptures say about this? Not just Moses, not just Hillel or Shammai or any other rabbi. What does the scripture say about this? question hey that's the best question we can ask about a lot of things make that a point like you're, you're in the middle of some sort of dilemma or ethical question what do the scriptures say about that and study it out and, and when you google it maybe don't just stop at the first one that tells you what you want to hear maybe read a couple more things okay actually go to the scripture itself not just somebody's commentary on it get in the scripture um tradition or interpretation, or even the law of the land is not going to take the place of Scripture. Because frankly, in, in, in our time, I don't think we've got these difficult subjects of divorce 
I don't think we got it sorted out any better. So the Pharisees answered in uh, verse 4. And they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. Okay, permitted, right? God did not invent divorce. God did not demand divorce. He limited something they were already doing. He allowed it to be permitted. God, mis uh, the Pharisees mistook God's mercy for God's endorsement. Divorce became abused. You've heard what I've just said. Abused, very one-sided. Almost always leaving the woman in a very bad situation. So Jesus brought them right back to God's original plan. Verse 6. Let's read a little more. Verse 6. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two of them shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let not man separate. God invented marriage. People invented divorce. God made marriage with the intent that it should last a lifetime. The word join means glued. Um, a husband and wife are supposed to be glued together like a single unit. The kind of glue that you, you can't pull apart without destroying both halves. God ordains marriage. He, he's the guy with the glue bottle. And people shouldn't tear it apart. So maybe the place to start with this is to be like really careful about who you marry. Be really, really, really selective about who you marry. Um, because God's going to expect you to try and make it work for life. And man, that is not, that's not a small thing. And if you're not sure you can do that with that person, maybe don't marry that person. And... Like, I read a statistic this morning that, that my generation has a very low divorce rate compared to a previous generation. But that's actually because my generation doesn't get married, by and large. They don't get married, so don't get divorced. But, but look, I'm telling you, um, a relationship that is living together and it pretty much looks like marriage, but it's not marriage, that's, that's not a solution. That's, that's another problem. That's a different problem. For we'll have to tackle that another time. So, okay. It's real heavy in here. Is everyone else okay? <sighs> My chest feels a little tight. All right, so let's just keep going. Okay, so we'll say, well, okay, if God, if God thinks, if God wants divorce, uh, marriage to be a lifetime, why didn't he just say, all right, guys, no more divorces. This wasn't my idea. No more divorces. Why didn't he? Especially when they were abusing it so horribly. You thought divorce was bad now, right? It's bad. It's ugly now many, many times. But it was even uglier back then. Hard to believe. Why didn't God just say, ah, no more? Because God is merciful. God is merciful. Sometimes even God knows it is not going to work. Is it a happy thing? No. But sometimes it's really not going to work. Sometimes there are betrayals that are so serious that there's no coming back from it. And Jesus said, because human hearts grow hard towards one another, God allowed it as an option. And you know what? We can be grateful God allowed that option. Because there are some situations that are very, very, very bad and people need to get out of there. God allowed it. God made marriage for life, 
But in his mercy, he allowed the possibility of a peaceful end to the marriage. But even when it's peaceful, that doesn't mean it's painless. We have a lot of families in this room right now who have been touched directly or indirectly by divorce, and it is not painless. It hurts. The bleeding doesn't stop quickly. It takes a long time to heal. Praise God, he can, and he does heal and restore. He does, praise God. But the pain's going to be there for a while. So, Jesus, this is what Jesus told the people who were there out in the open. The disciples are hearing this, the 12 disciples, and they're still a bit confused about it. So, uh, when they get Jesus alone, when they make it to where they're going and staying for the night, they grab Jesus and said, um, can you explain this to us? We still don't understand uh, they brought the topic up again. This time he is, uh, they asked him an honest question. Not like the Pharisees are trying to trap him. They really want to understand it. So Matthew chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. <laughs> okay, before we get to the super heavy parts of that, Let's just notice something real positive. Jesus presents a radical idea. Remember that in this culture, in this day, they did not think that a man could commit adultery against his wife. They did not consider the wife to be the victim of adultery. It was the other person's, you know, the, the woman he's messing around with, her husband was the one who was um, the victim. So we see that Jesus has elevated the status of women. You look in the New Testament, you look in the Gospels, Jesus consistently elevates the status of women Jesus consistently treats women with a level of dignity that was denied them by the culture. So that might have been one of the sticky issues because they didn't, they didn't understand that women had some rights here too. Hey, ladies, I understand that you've probably experienced some religious folks who used religion to maybe make women feel less than, less than equal. That's not Jesus. Scriptures show Jesus as loving women and lifting them up and treating them with an equality they were denied. Okay, so now the really sticky part. Oh, gosh. What about remarriage after divorce? Touches so many lives. It's very common. Um, when God first regulated divorce in Deuteronomy 24, he specifically referenced remarriage. That, that looked like it was definitely an option. Um, praise God, in many cases, after a disaster of a first marriage, people have a subsequent marriage that is super, super blessed and good and wonderful. Praise God for that. So what does that mean in light of what Jesus said here? Well, what do we know? What do we know from reference in other scriptures? We, we know that if one spouse dies, it's definitely okay to get married again. We know that. Scripture is very plain. There's no question there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, that if one partner is an unbeliever and they leave, then the believer is not bound to that marriage. Um, and it's pretty clearly implied that they're free to remarry. Um, New Testament is plain. Uh, Matthew 19 uh, says if there's sexual immorality, then the partner who was wronged is allowed to remarry. Um, I know that uh, some... Interpreters will make that a very, very specific thing, but the, the Greek word translated as sexual immorality can mean an awful lot of things. It can mean almost any sort of um, sexual sin or indiscretion. 
Um, and in that case, the other partner is not bound to the marriage. So now we come to the question, what if, what if both partners are believers, no sexual immorality has been committed, then the biblical ideal is to work it out. To try to do everything you can to make it work. And if it honestly cannot work out to remain single. And that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one right there. So are we going to come to some super satisfying conclusions here? Maybe not. But we're just going to say what the Bible says and we'll go from there, okay? I think I still got the football. I think. I don't, I don't think I fumbled it yet. We'll see. But we've left one big question unanswered. What if a person has gotten remarried and then kind of looking at this, they're like, oh, was this, was this the right context for remarriage? Um, what if someone says, oh, maybe I shouldn't have got remarried in light of this? Should you get unremarried? No, don't get unremarried. That's the same problem again. Don't get unremarried. Work hard to make it work. Give it all you got. Make it the absolute best marriage you possibly can. Pour your heart into it. Pour your soul into it. Don't hold back because you've been hurt in the past. Make it work with God's help and leaning on God. Um, that's, that's what he wants is for you to have success in marriage. Maybe it won't work. Maybe it can't work. But that's what we're aiming at every single time. Every single time. Look, if, if you kind of come, come to the conclusion that you don't feel good about the situation, I, I want to tell you this. Divorce is not the end. Remarriage is not the end. <laughs> These things don't permanently mark you. I know that our culture and sometimes church culture has considered that to be a, just a permanent stain that can never be dealt with. That is not what we see in the scriptures itself. God don't throw you away. God loves you. God's not done with you. He's not done using you. Now, will you have to come to peace with all that you've been through? Absolutely. And we want to help you with that. We want to walk with you through that. That's a whole lot of the problem. When someone's going through a divorce or, or any of this stuff, that's when they need support more than any other time and that is so often when churches have fumbled the football because they weren't there to support and love and help people through it look god's still got a lot for you to do all right you still breathing you good all of you seem pretty conscious to me right now because you're waiting to see if i'm gonna mess this up some of you you're praying for me though like lord don't let him mess it up thank you we're getting towards the end now. I just I want you to know marriage is beautiful. Marriage is blessed, but it ain't easy. It takes work. I do weddings, and when I do a wedding, I congratulate the couple afterward and say, okay, now the hard work begins. Now you've got to go make this thing work for 60 years or so. And they're like, what? What do you mean? The hard work. We put all this in. You know what? You know what it costs me to rent this venue? Thousands. I said, yeah, you ain't done paying yet, sir. Now you got to go make it work unselfishly. This week, Katie and I celebrated 22 years. 22 years. Now, 
Those of you who are in this room right now and seeing my wife, she's like, how could she possibly be married 22 years? She can't be a day over 26. Well, she's got some real good genes. She's got some excellent genetics and looks very, very young. And 22 years, sweetheart, boy, we've been through a lot. We have definitely been through some things that could have broken it. But we're still here. By the grace of God, we're still here. And I'm praying for 22 more and 22 more after that. And then after 66 years, I think everything after that's going to be gravy. So I don't know. I'm just going to pray for 44 more years. And then you can pray for what's beyond that. I, I hope I'm with the Lord by then. That's a long time from now. I'm not leaving you. I'm just going up to heaven and you'll get there. I'll, I'll be like a 90-year-old man just hobbling around and my wife will still look like 35. It's going to be weird. They're going to think she's my caretaker when we get old. Is this your granddaughter taking care of you? Nope, that's my trophy wife. Um, look, hear, hear me, hear me, hear me. Like this is the lean-in point. I want you to hear this. If you're single, we love you. You're engaged, we love you. You're married, we love you. If you're divorced, we love you. If you're remarried, we love you. If you're dating, we love you. If you're living with somebody you ain't married to, we love you. No matter your story, no matter your deal, whatever you got going on relationship-wise or not, we love you. You're welcome, you're wanted, and we're loved. And I'm going to be very plain with you. If you're in a situation that's unhealthy for you, that is not God's best for you, we, we want to be a part of your journey towards something that is God's best for you, that is healthy, that is life-giving, that is God-honoring. We want that for you. And you know what? Hey, I love this. When we started to recreate six years ago, we had a lot of couples who were living together and weren't married. But boy, have we had a lot of weddings since then. Praise God. That's awesome. I love that. We're a part of that. Look, the world around us has a very messed up understanding of relationships. A very, very selfish, messed up, unhealthy understanding of what a relationship should be between two human beings. It pushes people past healthy boundaries but never manages real, true, deep intimacy. Isn't that something? We want to be a part of changing that in our community and in our world. Look, we have not answered all the questions today. There's a lot more questions to answer that you may have to seek. Here's what I'm going to leave you with then. All right. I got one more thing, one more slide here. Here's what I want to leave you with. All right, this is kind of the way where I'm going to leave it today. Yeah, unsatisfactory in some ways, but here's the truth I'm going to leave you with. Love endures, grace forgives, hope rebuilds. And wherever you are, relationship-wise, these things are true. Give your situation to God. Trust Him with it. He's going to work it out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy and your understanding and knowing that, that marriage is tough and even this, even this good thing you've given us 
sometimes doesn't work out. God, thank you for your mercy, though. Thank you that you have rescued marriages from the brink so many times. Thank you for the reconciliation that is possible in impossible situations. Lord, I want to pray for everyone receiving this message, all these families here who have been touched in some way by these things. God, that you would have mercy and have grace and be merciful and show them how much they're loved. And Lord, I pray that you'll lead us all in the direction of more healthy, more God-honoring relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's it. That's done. Uh, I guess I'll maybe be hearing from some of you. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be glad to hear from you. That'll be okay. Hey, I got to honor God. You know what? I'm a lot more scared of God than I am y'all. So I better just honor him. All right. That's all I got for today. Everyone's breathing a sigh of relief now. And uh, so am I. Come back next week and uh, you'll hear more of their message from the word of God. Hey, keep in mind these things. Remember your pinto beans and your creamy peanut butter for Haiti. All right. The big black barrels over there. That's what that is. Um, you put your peanut, peanut butter and your pinto beans in there. Remember the movie night Friday? Yeah, Wednesday night small group. Uh, movie night Friday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Then October gets really busy with uh, baptism and uh, the church anniversary. And then we're going to do a trunk or treat this year. So that'll be a lot of fun. Trunk or treats. Yay. So look, we're going to need a lot of help organizing that. Uh, I'm going to tell you to come, come find Katie. If you want to be a part of the trunk or treat and want to like help decorate, otherwise just show up with your trunk and give out treats. It's not real hard math. That'll be the same day as the Hillsville Safe Halloween, October 31st, start at 5 p.m. All right, you're, I'm really done now. Y'all are dismissed. Have a great week. Be careful out there. Go live for Jesus. See ya.